The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Indeed, we gather here in the nave of Marsh Chapel, 735 Commonwealth Avenue, across the airwaves of WBUR 90.9 FM, and via internet signals at WBUR.org, with hearts and voices uplifted in the praise of God. This week, we continue our National Summer Preaching Series, focusing around the theme of Darwin and faith in this year of the bicentennial of Darwin's birth and sequicentennial of the publication of his landmark on the origin of species. We welcome again to the pulpit today, Reverend Dr. Charles Yost, Senior Minister of the Church of the Savior, United Methodist Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Furthermore, Dr. Scott Allen Jarrett leads the Marsh Chapel Summer Choir, joined by singers from the Back Bay Chorale, and selections from Franz Joseph Haydn's oratorio, The Creation. Soloists this morning are Miss Kara Harris, Mr. Graham Wright, Mr. Jeff Nardone, and Mr. Zach Wilder. The organist is Mr. Brian Jones. Dean Hill sends his regards as he is away in these weeks, preaching the gospel in the voice of Marsh Chapel across the country. As you are so moved, we would invite your participation in our life together by presence, response, support, and ministry among us. For those listening on airwaves and internet signals especially, you may wish to follow us on Facebook or Twitter. More information about social networking, the podcast, and the opportunity for online giving are available on Marsh Chapel's website, bu.edu chapel. Now let us stand as we are able in praise of God.
that your continual mercy, O Lord, cleanse and defend your church. And because it cannot continue in safety without your help, protect and govern it always by your goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 and 26 through 27. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
please join me in saying verses from Psalm 104 with the Antiphon. creatures. They are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his verse. Who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. May the meditation be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. Let the sinners be consumed from the earth, and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. St. John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Glory, Glory to you, o Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. 
he came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Once again, I bring you greetings from the congregation I serve in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. I also want to say how pleased I am to be here and worshiping with you. I have been challenged and blessed by this series, Darwin and Faith. I hope that you will be challenged and blessed this morning. Let us bow our heads together in prayer. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. February 12, 2009, came and went without much fanfare in Cleveland, Ohio. I venture to say that few people were aware that there was anything noteworthy about that day. Yet February 12, 2009, marked the 200th anniversary of the birth of two people who have had a profound impact on the world as we know it, Abraham Lincoln and Charles Darwin. How intriguing that these two giants of influence upon world civilization were born, one in the United States and one in England, on the very same day. Abraham Lincoln is arguably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, president that the United States has ever had. His issuing of the Emancipation Proclamation and his steady hand of leadership following that provocative act is a, is a masterful deed, to say the least. His attitude of forgiveness and reconciliation toward the Confederacy did much to set the tone for the healing of the deep-seated wounds that divided regional factions of this country for generations. His ability to transform lofty ideals into practical and effective strategies of leadership is admired to this day. 
Indeed, Lincoln's philosophy and leadership style have provided a conscious and intentional role model for current President Barack Obama and his administration. Abraham Lincoln is a leader well worth studying, a statesman well worth emulating. On the very same day that Abraham Lincoln was born in Hardin County, Kentucky, across the pond, another person who would influence the world in a profound way was also born Charles Darwin. Initially studying to become a priest in the Church of England, Darwin developed a deep interest in naturalism. During a visit to South America and the Galapagos Islands, he examined fossil remains of ancient organisms and observed the diversity of life forms in isolated environments. Building on these observations and based on additional work over more than 20 years, Darwin developed the theory of evolution by natural selection. And in 1859, 150 years ago, he published these ideas in his profoundly influential book, The Origin of Species. Darwin proposed that all living species are descended from a small set of common ancestors, perhaps just one ancestor. He held that variations within a species occur randomly and that the survival or extinction of each organism depends on its ability to adapt to its environment. Darwin's view engendered immediate and intense controversy, especially in religious circles, and the controversy which has continued to this day and shows no signs of abating. Darwin himself was concerned over the effects of his theory on religious belief and took pains in his book, The Origin of Species, to point out a possible harmonious interpretation. And I quote, I see no good reason, said Darwin, why the views given in this volume should shock the religious feelings of anyone. A celebrated author and divine has written to me that he has gradually learned to see that it is just as noble a conception of the deity to believe that he created a few original forms capable of self-development into other and needful forms as to believe that he required a fresh act of creation to supply the voids caused by the action of his laws. Darwin concludes his book by saying, there is grandeur in this view of life. With its several powers, having been originally breathed by the Creator into a few forms or into one, and that whilst this planet has gone on cycling on according to fixed law of gravity, from so simply a beginning, endless forms, most beautiful and most wonderful, have been and are being evolved. While Darwin's personal religious beliefs seem ambiguous and varied, it is worthy of note that far from being ostracized by the religious community of his day, Charles Darwin was buried in Westminster Abbey. While no serious biologist today doubts the theory of evolution to explain the marvelous complexity and diversity of life, a recent Gallup poll indicates that only one-third of Americans believe that the theory of evolution is well-supported with the remainder being equally divided between those who agree that it has not been well supported and those claiming that they just don't know enough about evolution to affirm or reject it. These statistics have remained essentially unchanged over the past 20 years. The theory of evolution rests on two basic ideas, that all of life is related and that species change over time. First of all, scientists insist that all of life is related. 
If you hug a tree, you are really hugging a relative, a very distant relative, but a relative nonetheless. From the outset, one of the objections to the idea that we are all related is the idea that human beings are descended from apes and monkeys. Thomas Huxley, a contemporary of Darwin's, is reported to have said that he was not ashamed to have a monkey for an ancestor, only ashamed to be related to anyone who obscured the truth. Scientists reassure us that we are not descended from apes and monkeys the way those species are now. It's just that we share common ancestors. How do we know this? The same way we know whether people are related to one another. Everybody these days knows, thanks to courtroom television, that DNA can be used to determine paternity. Because children share the DNA of their parents, we can tell whether people are related by seeing if their DNA is the same. This principle works across all living things. While the study of genes and the DNA which comprises them has been going on for years, the Human Genome Project, completed in 2003, revealed more about the interrelatedness of life than humanity had previously known. It was discovered, for example, that while there are 3.1 billion letters of the DNA code arranged across 24 chromosomes comprising the human genome, there are only about 20 to 25,000 protein coding genes. That was especially shocking in light of the fact that the gene count for other simpler organisms, such as worms, flies, and simple plants, seemed to be in about the same range as that for humans, approximately 20,000 protein-coding genes. Francis Collins, who headed the Human Genome Project until last August, comments, many of us were shocked to discover that God writes such short stories about humankind. Another striking, and I believe theologically profound finding, coming from the Human Genome Project, is that at the DNA level, all of the different members of our human species are 99.9% identical. And that similarity applies regardless of which two individuals around the world you wish to compare. At this time, please take a look at the person sitting next to you. Go ahead, it won't hurt to turn and look in church. Look at the person sitting next to you on the right. Look at the person sitting next to you on the left. 99.9% .9 of your DNA is exactly the same. Thus, by DNA analysis, we are truly members of one family. The second fact of evolutionary biology is that species change. This was what Darwin observed on the Galapagos Islands and what scientists and non-scientists observe all the time. The size, shape, and color of plants and animals change through time and space, demonstrating the difference between living things and non-living things. A chemical species such as water never changes. Water is always colorless. It always freezes, boils at the same temperature. There never was a time or a place where pure water was red or green or blue, for example, but the species of living things change over time. In her recent book, Evolution and the Christian Faith, Joan Roughgarden, professor of biological sciences and geophysics at Stanford University, says, the single tree of life 
and species change discoveries are bottom line, take-home facts. I believe that these two facts must be taught in any science curriculum today. Not teaching these, she states, will cripple the minds of children as though asking them to, be, to find a place in modern society after being raised with wolves. Far from being at odds with religion in general and the Christian faith in particular, I find that the two major premises of evolutionary biology are quite compatible with orthodox thinking. First of all, all of life is related. The most accepted theory of the creation of the world among scientists at the current time is the Big Bang Theory, which states that at a single moment, approximately 14 billion years ago, the universe began. Of course, the Big Bang Theory begs the question of what came before that, and who or what was responsible for the forces coming together that created the universe in the first place. Again, Francis Collins writes, the Big Bang Theory cries out for a divine explanation. If for, it forces the conclusion that nature had a defined beginning. I cannot see, he writes, how nature could have created itself. Only a supernatural force that is outside of space and time could have done that. For the Judeo-Christian tradition, the opening words of Genesis are entirely compatible with the Big Bang. Genesis 1.1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Theology has long held that the universe was created by God out of nothingness, created ex nihilo. Astronaut Robert Jastrow, in his book, God and the Astronomer, states, at this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, and I love this sentence, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. The creation poem set in the Garden of Eden that we are hearing so beautifully put to music this morning describes God creating all the species of plants and animals. Does Genesis 1 contradict evolution's tree of life? No, Genesis does not specify one way or the other about whether the plants and animals God placed on the earth are related one to the other. They are, however, all designed and made by the same creator. God does not tell us how, Genesis does not tell us how God created, it only tells us why. God created humanity in God's image for fellowship with God. All of life is related, a fact which has now been proven by science, a fact which has broad implications as communication increases and the world continues to shrink before our very eyes. All of life is related as we realize that we are doing irreparable damage to the land, the water, and the species of plants and animal life that God has taken millions of years to create. All of life is related, we need to remember, as we seek solutions to problems that threaten to destroy the very breath of life that God breathed into our nostrils on the dawn of creation. And that brings me to the second fact of evolutionary biology that is also quite compatible with the Christian gospel, that species change over time. 
Scientists have observed mutation occurring in plants and insects and other species through laboratory experimentation and the examination of fossils. Change is vital to the survival of living things. Change is also fundamental to our belief system. Change is a cornerstone of the Christian gospel. I have chosen Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus to illustrate my point. Nicodemus was intrigued by the teaching of Jesus and the way of life he demonstrated. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, for he didn't want to admit to the other intellectuals of his day that his education and his profession had not brought him the happiness and satisfaction for which he yearned. Nicodemus sensed that there must be something in life that he was missing. Jesus told Nicodemus that he needed to be born again, that he needed to accept God's lordship of all things and start looking at life through fresh, new eyes. The most important part of life, according to this Jewish teacher, was not what we can get, but what we can give. We can begin living a new life, not someday when we die, but here and now, this very day. We don't know whether Nicodemus came to faith immediately or whether the process took some time. But we do know that after Jesus was crucified, Nicodemus came with Joseph of Arimathea to claim and to care for the body of Jesus. Nicodemus, who formerly had been afraid to be seen with Jesus for fear of what people would think, was now willing to risk his, risk his reputation and his very life in order to care for the body of his crucified Lord. A profound change had taken place in his life. Whether or not the account in Acts is totally accurate, we know that another man was changed dramatically as Saul, the persecutor of Christians, became Paul, the apostle, the greatest missionary the Christian church has ever known. Again, a change of heart and life is a fundamental result of the gospel message. Species can change. It was the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, who urged his followers not to be satisfied with where they currently were in their spiritual lives, but to go on to perfection. Citing Matthew 5:48, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. John Wesley urged a continual striving, a continual process of change and growth, causing the Christian believer to evolve, if you will, toward the person that God intends us to be. For some, the change is profound and dramatic. The Apostle Paul is a profound and a, a prime example. For others, the change is more subtle and gradual. But for all living things, change is essential, not only for our growth, but for our survival in God's world. It is true in the physical realm, my friends. I submit to you this morning that it is also true in the realm of the Spirit. Some people just have the gift of storytelling. When Professor Harold Beck lectured on the origins of the Hebrew Bible, he made the story so real in my seminary class that I wanted to sneak a peek to the corner of the room to which he was gesturing. I wanted to catch a glimpse of the Bedouin shepherds and the campfire they had built to take the chill off the night air. He made the story just that realistic. 
and I found later that others in the class experienced the same feeling. Dr. Beck said when he went to speak at local churches, which was frequently, he wanted to go up to the altar and take the Bible and rip off the back cover to demonstrate the fact that God did not stop speaking in the second century AD, nor have the Acts of the Apostles ceased. The Bible is still being written today, he would proclaim in a thundering voice, species can change, species do change. In his book, The Language of God, Francis Collins tells about being asked to head the Human Genome Project. At the time, he was quite happy at the University of Michigan, and he commented that he never imagined himself a federal employee. I initially indicated no interest, he wrote, but the decision haunted me. There was only one human genome project. This was going to be done only once in human history. If it succeeded, the consequences for medicine would be unprecedented. As a believer in God, was this one of the moments, he asked himself, when I was somehow being called to take on a larger role in a project that would have profound consequences for our understanding of ourselves. I have always been suspicious, he writes, of those who claim to perceive God's will in moments such as this. But the potential consequences for humankind's relationship with the Creator could hardly be ignored. Visiting my daughter in North Carolina in November of 1992, I spent a long afternoon praying in a little chapel, seeking guidance about this decision. I did not hear God speak. In fact, I have never had that experience. But during those hours, a peace settled over me, and a few days later, I accepted the offer. Collins' work has demonstrated and confirmed the theory of Charles Darwin that all of life is related and that species change. As Harold Beck so dramatically proclaimed to our seminary class, the Bible is still being written today. God is still speaking. God is still creating. The Bible is still being written. My friends, I ask you this morning, what will your chapter say? How will you demonstrate your awareness to your relationship to all of creation? How will you respond to God's call to continue to evolve and to let God create in you the person that God desires you to be? I believe that as long as we are living, we are always evolving. May we always seek to grow in the image and the likeness of God. Amen.
here physically with us in the nave of Marsh Chapel, and good morning to all of you guys who are listening on the airwaves as well. My name is Elizabeth Fomby. I'm the Director of Hospitality here at Marsh Chapel, and it's a blessing for me to be up here today. Um, I just want to let you guys know who are sitting here in the sanctuary. We've got these red pads that we announce every week, but it's uh, very helpful if you guys would um, fill those out. They're in the center aisle at the end of your pew. It's a great way for you guys to get to know each other's names as well as for those of us who are leading the service to get to know your names as well. So I would encourage you to fill that out. Um, today, after the service, we have a potluck downstairs in the basement, and that's another good way for you guys to get to know each other, but um, we have food, and potluck also happens every Communion Sunday, so we always encourage you to join us downstairs for those. And I've been getting a lot of uh, phone calls throughout the Darwin series about sermon text. We do have the sermon text, not only for the Darwin series, but for all of the sermons that we give at Marsh Chapel. You can find the text as well as the audio for those on the Marsh Chapel website, which is www.bu.edu chapel. There's a little box that says Quick Links, and you'll see a link for sermons, and we've got all that up on a blog. Also, this morning I got a call from a radio listener, and he was commenting on the sermons for last week as well as the previous weeks when Dean Snyder was with us. And it just reminded me how wonderful it is to hear the voices of those who are worshiping from afar. So if you feel so moved and you're listening on the airwaves, um, we would love to hear your voice. And you can call the chapel office at 617-353-3560, or you can email the chapel at chapel at bu.edu. I would love to hear your thoughts, your questions, your concerns, your comments about the service and the sermon. So we welcome those. And uh, we have an announcement from Maggie Keelan today, who is the Development Officer over at the School of Theology. Maggie? Thank you so much. Well, this morning is an exciting morning because we have a special surprise, we hope it's still a surprise, for Reverend Dr. Yost. Uh, his friends and his family and his wife, Barbara, have established a scholarship in his honor at the School of Theology that will support students who have a passion for pastoral care and counseling and are pursuing elders ordination in the United Methodist Church. And this scholarship is established in your honor of your 60th birthday and we have a large stack of cards from friends and family that have sent in their uh, blessings and their congratulations. So on behalf of the School of Theology and um, the Office of Development, congratulations and thank you for your service. Oh, also Dr. Yost is a proud alumnus of the School of Theology, so we are happy to have him here today. We're very proud. Thank you. Thanks, Maggie, and thank you, Reverend Yost, for being here with us. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
for life and work and peace. Bless these gifts as we offer this day to your ministry and service in the world. In Christ's name, amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. And also with you. Let us share with one another a sign of Christ's peace. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give thanks and praise. Father, we give you thanks and praise through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, your living Word, through whom you have created all things, who was sent by you in your great goodness to be our Savior. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he took flesh. As your Son, born of the Blessed Virgin, he lived on earth and went about among us. He opened wide his arms for us on the cross. He put an end to death by dying for us, and revealed the resurrection by rising to new life. So he fulfilled your will, and won for you a holy people. And now we give you thanks because you are the source of light and life. You make us in your image and called us to new life in him.
Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we proclaim your great and glorious name, forever praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of power and source of all holiness. Grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit and according to your holy will, these gifts of bread and wine may be to us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in the same night that he was betrayed took bread and gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and gave you thanks. He gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has And so, Father, calling to mind his death on the cross, his perfect sacrifice made once for the sins of the whole world, rejoicing in his mighty resurrection and glorious ascension, and looking for his coming in glory, we celebrate this memorial of our redemption. As we offer you this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, we bring before you this bread and this cup, and we thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and serve you. Send the Holy Spirit on your people and gather into one in your kingdom all who share this one bread and one cup, so that we in the company of all the saints may praise and glorify you forever through Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom and with whom and in whom, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body, because we all share in one bread. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. 
Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us your peace. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to his supper. Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word, and I shall be healed.
Let us pray. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace, and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the Spirit give light, give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope you have set before us, so we and all your children shall be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us stand to sing the final shores to her setting on western mountains, along northern pines and the southern gulf, along borders to the south and north that you do not recognize, separating economies, loved ones, sisters and brothers, upon the vast expanse of the plains and prairies, from the crests of the great ranges and the older, gentler hills, in all places that we have seen or only dreamed of. Let your name be praised, and may we, as we go forth, join the song that rises from every creature 
tree and blade of grass. Amen.